last night I mentioned the three trainings of the mind that we will undertake here. And I spoke last night about the training of our speech and behavior as we live in a community here and how that creates um, harmony and ease of being with each other. The second training is a training in the development of concentration leading to a purification of the mind so that the knowing ability of the mind can become clear. And the third training is a training in the development of right understanding or the development in the training of wisdom. You may have noticed that even though we can, we can come here and create this space of, of quiet and solitude and this, this sanctuary, we can physically remove ourselves from the busyness of our lives. And yet I'm sure you've all discovered today that the busyness of the mind is still with us. And even though we're here without a lot of responsibilities or obligations or having to do anything, the mind still churns out activity as if it were still in the middle of the city, in the middle of our busy lives. This churning of the mind, this constant movement and agitation and going here and going there, toing and froing of the mind, obscures the mind's ability to know clearly. We get distracted by plans, memories, judgments, comments, and the whole vast array of mental chatter that we've noticed today. These distractions, these obstructions to clarity in the mind, uh, sometimes become quite fixed. And we call it our personality. Some of us are habitual worriers. Some of us are quite habitually angry. Some of us are uh, relentless judges of ourselves and others. And this pattern of distraction in the mind becomes quite fixed, quite habitual, and quite blinding. They say, that in a crowd, a pickpocket sees only pockets. An angry person sees only causes and reasons to be angry. A worrier can see only things to worry about. And so whatever you have found yourself distracted and caught up in today has kept you from being present with 
the simplicity of what's actually happening. Tonight I want to talk about some of the classical distractions of mind that make it difficult for us to just be present with ourselves. And I want to talk about the other factors of mind that we cultivate here in sitting and walking that directly oppose those distractions, those obstructions of clarity. So these distractions or these mental habits that we uh, are so enamored of are really attitudes and perspectives that we take on our life. And because they are quite fixed and quite repetitive and quite habitual, quite automatic, they tie up or they consume a lot of our energy. And we see, just in the little bit of practice that we've done today, as we make the effort to be present, to be attentive to what's occurring in our sitting, what's occurring in our walking, we get a little bit of presence of mind. And in that presence of mind, or with that presence of mind, we begin to see more of what's going on. We try to pay attention to the primary object of the breath or the movement of the leg. But other things become equally uh, clear or predominant or distinctive. The irritating sounds, the uncomfortable uh, sensations in the body, the pleasantness of the uh, meals, our thoughts, our memories, they come into focus as well as the primary object. But we get caught up in these, these uh, thoughts and feelings, emotions and moods, and they become, and they tie up our energy, and they become our blind spot. And as such, they're tremendous obstacles to awakening. But we don't need to take them personally. We all have lots of distractions. They're not really yours to own. They come with the mind that is not being paid attention to. And as such, your work with these distractions is the work of awakening. We all begin with great distractions, great obstructions, great unclarity. And the way we work with them is the nature of practice, the nature of awakening. There's no way to be awake instantly. It's by slowly and carefully and consistently approaching and confronting these obstacles, these obstructions, these distractions, understanding their nature, how they operate, putting them aside and going on. So in one sense, we could say that these obstacles are our greatest teacher. Whatever your particular uh, obstruction has been today, 
has been your teacher today, has taught you about yourself, your mind, your energy level, your clarity, your lack of it, your level of frustration, disappointment, judgment of yourself. And we all have seen that today. It's helpful to begin to identify these distractions so that we don't get so uh, blinded by them. These distractions, these obstacles or hindrances to clarity are the result of or are rooted in delusion or illusion, not seeing things clearly. And when we don't see things clearly, we jump off into an associative train of thought about it. When we see things clearly, we can see them from one moment to the next without thinking about them. Without thinking about the breath, we can just be with it. When we don't notice the movement of the leg or the breath, clearly we begin thinking about what we're aware of, the environment that we're in, other thoughts, memories. So these obstructions are rooted in lack of clarity or illusion. The one thing to understand about these obstructions or these uh, distractions is that they cannot coexist at the same time as mindfulness, at the same time as presence of mind. They may alternate very rapidly. When we find ourselves caught up in, in a mood, anger, or disappointment, each moment that we are mindful uh, displaces that obstruction from the mind. So it's as if the mind is shrouded by these uh, obstructions, as if we're seeing through a veil of disappointment or seeing through the veil of frustration. And each time we recognize that mood, oh, disappointment, frustration, anger, whatever, it's as if we're poking a hole in that shroud. And eventually, if we keep poking holes in the shroud of that obstruction, eventually there are more holes than obstruction, and we can see clearly what is causing or the source of that distraction. So these distractions that we've, we've discovered today are quite well known to all of us who, who, who've looked at the mind a little bit. They're the classical five hindrances. Sleepiness, dullness, doubt or wavering of mind, aversion, disliking our experience, restlessness, agitated state of mind, and desire or attachment, the wanting mind that wants something else. They're really classical uh, obstructions to clarity. 
the first that we discover most frequently, most often in the first day or two of any retreat, is sleepiness or dullness of mind. And it's no fault of ours that we're dull. Our lives are busy and we just don't... We often are overextended in our energy. And when we come to a situation like this where we're not overstimulated but can actually be with ourselves as we are, the first thing we realize is, is that we're exhausted. And that sometimes what we need to do in the first day of the retreat, or the first couple of days of retreat, is take a couple of naps. That type of sleepiness or tiredness needs rest. The body needs to rest. The mind needs to rest. And sometimes struggling to overcome that type of sleepiness can create a lot of agitation, tension in the mind. So if you're really tired, if you are overextended in your energy, then you may need to take a nap. That's one type of sleepiness or dullness of mind. There's another type of sleepiness or dullness that comes from resistance to unpleasant experience. So that when we sit, and after 15 or 20 minutes, the body begins to get a little achy, a little painful, we dull out, we numb out, because we don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to face or experience that discomfort. And so the mind goes fuzzy. The mind goes dull. Or after some uh, time in sitting, we, we begin to tune into the internal flow of commentary, and along comes a memory, a difficult memory, uh, some uh, discussion that we had that was unpleasant, some experience we had that didn't go the way we wanted, or was difficult or frustrating. And that memory comes along, and we don't really want to acknowledge that, and so we numb out. We just go a little bit dull around the edges and feel sleepy. And that sleepiness is really familiar to all of us, where the clarity of the mind is just glossed over. Can't quite, things aren't quite clear and pristine with sharp defined edges. They're a little bit hazy, a little bit soft, a little bit uh, fuzzy. There's a third type of sleepiness or dullness of mind, which comes not from genuine tiredness, not from resistance or uh, uh, fuzzing out of unpleasant or painful experience, but it comes from an imbalance in the concentration in energy levels. And so I've suggested earlier today that you, you look carefully at your concentration energy levels in the sitting and walking and use the walking to boost your energy to uh, match so that your energy matches your concentration. Sometimes when we come to retreats, uh, we like to sit. We just like to get still and sink into this stillness. And that's fine. And that's good. That tranquility is really quite necessary for opening of mind. But if it isn't balanced with energy, we'll soon be sitting quite still 
and quite tranquil and quite calm and quite peaceful and this is so nice and this is really soft and it's quiet and isn't this comfortable and I like this and this is good meditating. Calm, tranquil, into unconsciousness. This is not genuine sleepiness. This is not resistance to unpleasant experience. It's an imbalance in the concentration and energy levels in the mind. And you can notice, you can begin to distinguish these different kinds of dullness or sleepiness in yourself. And they can all come in any one sitting. So be a little bit alert as to what is going on in your practice, in your mind, in, in your body posture, in your energy level, so that you can begin to recognize sleepiness, dullness. And when this dullness begins to creep in, what do we do? Make that your object of meditation. One thing about sleepiness is it's very pleasant. It gets really comfortable in the body to fall asleep. So if you find yourself getting really soft and comfortable, note that. Comfort, soft, pleasantness, enjoying, tranquility, calmness, whatever that nature is of sleepiness. Get curious about sleepiness. Our conditioning is, over these 20 or 30 years that we've been living, is that whenever it is quiet and it's dark with our eyes closed, that means it's time to fall asleep. Because usually, the only time it's quiet that we're still and we have our eyes closed is just before we, or when we go to bed and fall asleep. And so when we come here, even though we want to be awake, our conditioning is quiet, still, eyes closed, sleep. This effort that we have to make to, to stay awake is counteracting years, or is going against the flow of years of habit and practice, or that, that conditioning from the first day of our life. And so be tolerant or be patient with yourself if you find you've got some sleepiness, some dullness. It's the conditioning that we have been uh, living with that we're confronting. We can confront it. We can learn to arouse the energy and to connect with the experience. And it's the connecting of the mind to the experience in the present moment that directly confronts or overcomes sleepiness. Even sleepiness itself. That dullness experienced in the body, experienced in the mind. When the mind or when the attention connects with it, and then the mind will not be dull. It's that connection with the experience that overcomes or puts aside sleepiness. So, sleepiness, the first of the, or the most common uh, obstruction or uh, fascinated state of mind that we discover in, in practice is overcome or confronted directly by the ability to connect with the experience. The second uh, hindrance or obstruction or to clarity of the mind is doubt. 
Sleepiness is really distinct. Doubt is really indistinct. It comes in like a fog in the mind, and it just, it has the effect of draining us of the determination to note, or to be present, or to be mindful. Our determination is really undermined by doubt. So if you find yourself here at any point saying, what am I doing this for? Rather than getting involved in that question, understand that doubt has come into the mind. And that's the type of voice that doubt speaks to us with. What am I doing this for? Why bother? I don't think I can do this. What's this guy know? Why should, what? Well, maybe I should be doing something else, some other practice. That type of doubt, hopefully, you've put aside in your, in your decision to come here. But that type of doubt can be uh, partially and temporarily overcome by arousing some sense of confidence by reading a book, talking to a teacher, asking some questions. And if you have questions about practice or your experience, there's a few times each day to, to ask those questions, to overcome any uh, hesitation or wavering in your mind in commitment to, to try this practice. And so that type of doubt can be overcome by uh, getting some uh, re-stimulation of your confidence. There's another type of doubt that we discover in practice even when we have uh, a great determination and great confidence in the practice. And that doubt is the confusion about what we are experiencing right now. And so we think we're being present. We think we're being mindful. We, we sit down to be attentive, and we try to watch the breath wherever we have chosen, and we, can't, we, we don't know what we're seeing. We don't know what we're experiencing. We don't know if the breath is, is up here or down here or in the nose. Or, where is it? Or we may have pain uh, or some discomfort after sitting for 15 or 20 minutes. And we're not sure just where it is or what it is or, 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 or we just know that something's not quite right. There's some discomfort in the body somewhere. That level of um, confusion is doubt about what this experience is. The mind is unable to uh, stay with the experience long enough to determine what it is. shrouded by doubt, is unable to stay with the experience in order to know it. So the quality of mind or the factor of mind which overcomes that level of doubt is the ability of the mind to stay with the experience, to sustain our attention on the experience will overcome our doubt about what that experience is. So once one has connected 
the attention to the experience, then sustaining our attention on it will reveal or will clarify what that experience is. That sustaining is a type of investigation. It's a type of uh, rubbing the mind on the experience in order to know it. To show you what I mean about connecting and sustaining, I want to ring the bell. Connecting of the mind is like the mallet hitting the gong or the bell. The sustaining of the mind is like the continued ringing of the bell. Now the ringing of the bell takes a second or two or three or four. And so once the mind has got to the sound, we need to make some other effort or some uh, activate some other quality or attribute of the mind to be able to stay with it and listen to it. Notice the difference between connecting your attention to the bell and sustaining your attention on the ringing of the sound. There's a different movement of the mind to get to the sound and then to stay with it. You may notice that it takes some, some just hanging in there and, and, and not allowing yourself to get distracted so that you can continue to listen to that sound. But you may notice also that the mind has a tremendous tendency to wander off. As soon as it has heard that sound initially, all sorts of things try to jump in and take us away. Oh yeah, well, I've heard that. Now what next? Why are we doing this? And the mind wanders off into this and that and, and other experience of the body and boredom and restlessness. And then three seconds later, the ringing stops. And we haven't really heard that sound. So in the, in the sustaining of the attention on the ringing, we hear distinctly and clearly that ringing. So we know that experience. But we also become aware of these other things in our environment. Other sensations in the body, the tendency of the mind to wander off, or the tendency of other thoughts and images to come into that experience. Again. And let your attention stay with the ringing of the sound. And just notice what else you know. to connect our attention and sustain our attention on the experience, we're aware of it. We are mindful of it. I was speaking last night about, um, maybe it was last night, if I just ring the bell and you don't really pay attention to it, you're aware of it. There's a general awareness of the bell ringing. 
But mindfulness is a particular type of awareness. It's the awareness of the ringing as ring as hearing when it's actually happening. And so the care with which you just listened to that ringing is mindfulness, is mindful attention. So the ability to connect and sustain our attention on the experience, whether it's the ringing of the bell or the rising and falling of the abdomen, results in mindfulness or mindful awareness. So the second obstruction or hindrance or uh, fascination of the mind is skepticism or doubt overcome by the ability of the mind to sustain attention on the experience. Now, as you become mindful through connecting and sustaining the attention and the experience becomes clear, what happens next? We don't like what we're experiencing. We don't like what we are knowing about ourselves, about our body, about our mind. And so another cloud or shroud of confusion and illusion covers the mind. Aversion, disliking of experience. And this aversion has many uh, flavors. The most obvious, of course, is out-and-out dislike or hatred. More subtle uh, variations include disappointment. Not liking this experience, being a little disappointed with it. Or frustration, wishing something else was happening. Disappointment, frustration, boredom. The inability to be interested in this experience. Too dull, too boring. I don't like it. Nothing happening. Boredom is a form of aversion. Aversion is that pulling away from or shrinking away from the experience. It happens a lot with pain. After sitting a little bit, we get a pain in the knee, a pain in the back. And you can almost see the mind pulling away in body posture. We have a pain in this right knee, and we sit like this, trying to somehow get away from it. And you can watch your own mind in relation to discomfort in the body, pain in the back, moving away from. It's really the mind trying to get away from that experience, but it manifests in the body, moving. It's important in, 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 in practice to begin to distinguish the, the uh, unpleasantness of experience from your dislike of it. Okay? There is the experience that is intense and unpleasant. Our reaction to it may be one of dislike and withdrawal. With clarity of mind, when we're able to connect and sustain our attention on that unpleasant experience, we needn't withdraw, pull away from it. We can stay with and be with and open to 
unpleasant experience. And in that opening to that unpleasant experience, it may be intense, it may be unpleasant, it may uh, feel like there is tremendous energy there, but we don't need to shrink and contract and cloud the mind from withdrawal. In fact, when the mind can connect and sustain its attention, or when the attention can stay with the experience, even unpleasant experience, there arises a, uh, a level of interest in knowing what that experience is that produces an exhilarated state of mind, a joyful or a joyfully interested investigation of that experience. You don't have to like it, but there can still be an exhilarated, joyful relationship to it. And it's that joy, it's that, it's that interest, that extraordinary interest that overcomes aversion in pulling away from experience. And it's not only in meditation. Please, understand that I'm just talking about these obstructions in meditation because it's what we're seeing so clearly today. But in our everyday life, whether it's at work, at home, or in the marketplace, we meet situations that are unpleasant. Unpleasant people, unpleasant uh, experiences. And the same reaction takes place in the mind, pulling away, clouding the situation. And so we don't see that person clearly. We just dislike them, pull away from them. And you may notice that when the mind is clouded by aversion or hatred or disliking or frustration or disappointment, we will do things and say things that are contrary to what we know to be in our own best interest. We may know that uh, in an argument, you don't get anywhere by arguing or saying mean and nasty things about the person that you have the disagreement with. And yet, in the midst of the argument, when we have a mind shrouded by aversion, we will say and do things that we later will regret and that we know uh, are not what we believe, are, who we believe ourselves to be. These, these obstructions uh, or these uh, distractions in the mind cause us to lose regard for our own standards of behavior. And you can see it quite clearly in your own mind. You don't have to take my word for it, but just to be alert to see that when there's a version in the mind, we can lose our own standards of propriety. And we can really act quite shamelessly or without any modesty. So beginning to distinguish uh, in practice, when you find yourself with a uh, uncomfortable uh, experience, physical or mental, begin to notice 
the unpleasant nature of it is one experience and our disliking and wanting to get away from it and wishing it would go away is something else. We can't do much about unpleasant experience. Sometimes it's just there and we have to uh, deal with it as we will. It's helpful to know that we can be with that without compounding our problems by disliking it, by pulling away from it, by contracting away. And it's that interest, that sustained curiosity or interest in the experience which overcomes or opposes that pulling away, that shrinking away from unpleasantness. So the third obstruction to clarity is uh, disliking or aversion overcome by interest or joyful or an exhilarated interest and zest in the mind. The fourth obstruction that we often find in the early days of retreat too is restlessness where the mind just will not settle down, where the body just won't settle down, where we just end up pacing in our mind or pacing during our walking. Quite distracted, quite unpresent with the experience. This, uh, this quality of mind is extremely uncomfortable. And if you ever find yourself in a really restless and distracted, restlessly distracted state of mind, you begin to see just how unpleasant the body feels and how unpleasant the mind is at that time. Extremely uncomfortable. Not necessarily with pain. Please understand that we can be uh, extremely restless and, and uh, agitated out of a condition that is not painful, but is very unpleasant or is very uncomfortable. And in restlessness, it's as if the mind gets close to our experience but can't quite land on it. And so it's like bees buzzing around a hive. If you've ever tried to uh, uh, feed, feed uh, bees uh, medicine or add, add frames to their, uh, to their boxes or whatever, when you pop off the cover to a beehive, they get pretty agitated and they all come swarming out. And, and they just buzz around the hive ready to uh, protect it from whatever's, whatever's disturbing it. And so that's like the mind that is agitated, irritated by something and gets restless. It just hovers around that experience without really landing on it. Very agitated state of mind. format of the retreat here, the schedule of sitting and walking, the uh, simplicity of the, of the meals and our actions, and uh, the, the agreements that we have, the precepts that we keep, all contribute to developing a place of tranquility. And it's that tranquility that initially opposes or tends to soothe 
the restless mind. So be careful with the, with the format of the retreat in, in remaining silent and going slow and, and not creating a lot of activity for yourself. Everything is provided here. If not, speak to me or either the, one of the cooks and, and we'll try to take care of whatever it is that, that might be agitating you so that you can begin to really appreciate the tranquility uh, that's possible being here in this simple environment. But even then, the external conditions are not always enough to, to settle the mind, and restlessness can be a predominant experience. In that case, when you find yourself really agitated, either sitting or walking, try to make yourself comfortable. Because it's comfort of the mind and comfort of the body that soothe that agitatedness, that restless agitatedness. And so if you're, if you're sitting and you're very agitated, sit a little more comfortably, if possible. Sit in a chair for a period of time, or change your posture. But understand that a restless mind wants the body to move a lot. We just keep fidgeting, 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 trying to get away from that. And instead, turn your mind directly to that experience of restlessness. Understand that that's what's going on, restlessness. And rather than trying to uh, stay with the breath or any other uh, smaller experience in the body, take the whole body as your meditation object. Give yourself a big object to observe when you have restlessness. Because uh, restlessness is like a, a volcano or a pressure cooker. And if you cap the top and you really put a lot of pressure on it, it gets explosive. But if you give it a lot of space, then it doesn't blow its top. So the same with a restless mind. Give yourself lots of space with a restless mind. And don't really try to hold it in or control it or contain it or push it down. Let it be there. Acknowledge it restlessness, and feel the whole body in that state of restlessness. If you're walking and you're very restless, then sometimes it's helpful to just stand still and feel the body in that state of restlessness, that state of agitatedness. Sometimes, in practice, just by, just by our intensity of uh, trying to stay with the, with the primary object or, or trying to see clearly that which is indistinct, we can create restlessness. We can create a very agitated state of mind. So if there's a lot of tension in your, in your energy or in your determination, then back off a little bit. Relax. The mind knows naturally. If you're not knowing, then you're either distracted or agitated. And, and sometimes the pressure to try to see what is indistinct. Sometimes the breath is very subtle. Subtle movements, subtle sensations. And if we really try hard to, to observe or to feel what's going on there, we can create a lot of tension, excess of energy in our system. So be a little bit careful about overcharging yourself. Let's settle back and let the experience come naturally.
So it's comfort of mind and body that directly opposes this um, agitated state of mind. The fifth uh, hindrance, obstruction, distraction of mind is the wanting mind. Very pervasive in our experience. Wanting some other experience. Wanting a little more comfort, wanting a little, wanting, wanting the bell to ring before the end of the sitting. That's a favorite one when you come on retreat. Wanting the meal sooner, wanting shorter sittings, wanting to go to bed, wanting to take a nap, wanting anything but what's already happening. And in us, in the, unfortunately, in our conditioning, in this society, the advertising industry has learned about the wanting mind. And they have systematically cultivated our wanting mind. And so, don't blame yourself for having a tremendous amount of desires. It's been cultivated and conditioned extensively in this culture that we live in. But what we're trying to do here is to catch it. We're trying to look at it and understand that it is merely a conditioned experience. Well, we don't have to live with that wanting mind. We don't have to act every time we have a desire or a want. We can see it and let it go. We're not encouraged to in this society. We're encouraged to want and get. This practice is want and let go. See the wanting mind, and you'll see. I mean, if you catch, you, you'll notice. The mind that wants only sticks around for a little while. And it either gets satisfied or it gets frustrated and then it's gone. And so if you confront that wanting mind, it won't stay around long. However, if you satisfy it with getting what it wants, it's still there, wanting something else. The wanting, the satisfaction of the wanting mind is impossible. Momentary satisfaction, yes, but what is it that you wanted uh, when you were 20? A new car, a new house, a new relationship, a college degree, something, and you got it. What happened next? Oh, you wanted something else. And so you worked for another year or two, and you got that. Were you satisfied permanently? No. What happened then? Wanting mind attached to some other experience, some other object, some other person. And it's been going on up until right now. What we do here is notice the wanting mind without reacting, without believing even that we have to satisfy it. But it takes some steadiness of mind to confront the discomfort of wanting and not getting. Because it's unpleasant. We've all had that experience too, wanting something that we can't have or can't get. Very uncomfortable experience. But each time we confront the wanting mind, each time we feel or we notice the wanting and we don't jump to satisfy it, we weaken the power of wanting in the mind. We weaken that conditioning that says, I have to get everything I want. <coughs> what could be more liberating in our life than to 
weaken that conditioning of continually seeking for satisfaction. Tremendous liberation is possible when we confront the wanting mind. And here, we see it endlessly throughout our sitting. Discomfort in the body comes, and we want to move. We don't even think about it. We don't even notice the wanting. We just move. Other things come. What is it? Uh, maybe at the meal. We see what we want. We know we've had enough. And because we like the taste, we'll go get some more. Wanting mind takes over. And, and like with the, with the mind that's filled with aversion, we have no shame. The wanting mind has absolutely no shame. It will do anything to get what it wants. You watch. You watch your own mind. You'll see. And we'll come up with all sorts of reasons and excuses and rationalizations to get something that we don't really need, but that we merely want. This practice is wonderful. It, it, it's, such a, it, it's such a valuable uh, training of mind to begin to notice the wanting mind before we go act to get it. Tremendous liberation there. Tremendous space and peace of mind possible from noticing, just noticing the wanting mind. So begin to notice in, in your practice, in your, in your day, in your, in your walking, in the whole day of attention, how much there's a wanting of some other experience. Whatever it is. And just allow yourself to feel what wanting feels like. It doesn't matter what it is you want. That's not the object. Because as soon as you get it, you'll, you'll want something else. But the actual experience of wanting is where we're caught, where we're stuck. Because it's so unpleasant, we avoid it. We just go get what we want. And so step back from that object, that experience, that thing that you think you want, and feel wanting itself. Where is it in the body? Where is wanting in the body? In the belly? In the chest? In the hands? In the head? In the genitals? Where? Look carefully. Look really carefully when you discover wanting in your mind. Wanting comes from a feeling of insufficiency, not being adequately provided for, not having enough. And as such, it comes with a mind that is fragmented and distracted with other things out there, not with what we're experiencing right here. But it sees another sight, it sees another experience, it sees a little more knowledge, something out there that it wants to go get. When the mind settles down and we're able to connect and sustain our attention on the experience and we become mindfully aware of it, of just this experience, the mind collects. It's as if all those pieces of mind that are stuck on all those things out there that we want come home. And the mind collects 
and becomes really powerfully connected to this experience. Single-minded or single-pointed mindfulness. Single-pointed mind on just this experience. It's that collecting of the mind which directly opposes or confronts the wanting mind. Please notice in your own, in your own uh, practice, when you can be with this experience right here, there's no wanting anything else. When the mind is fragmented, there's wanting. But that's not being here with this experience. So we have these classical distractions of mind. Sleepiness or dullness, directly opposed by the connecting of the mind to this experience. Doubt about what this experience is, directly opposed by sustaining our attention on the experience. Aversion or dislike, that contracting away from experience, is directly opposed by that exhilarated interest in the experience, that joy. Restlessness in agitatedness of mind and body, directly opposed by comfortability, comfort of mind and body. And the wanting mind opposed by single-pointedness of mind. All of these ten, the obstructions and their antidotes, so to speak, can be observed and known and noted in your practice. And as you become more familiar with these obstructions, they don't have the power that they do now. When we're not aware of them, they have a tremendous amount of power. And they can totally derail our attention in our presence of mind. And yet, when we can begin to recognize them and just put a label on them, sleepiness, that's what it is, it's sleepiness. Where is it in the body? What does it feel like? Oh, this is wanting mind. Where is it in the body? What does wanting feel like? Oh, this is disliking or aversion or hatred or disappointment or frustration. Where is it in the body? What does it feel like? Now, they, do, they don't need to take us away. They don't need to destroy our mindfulness. They can become the object of our attention. So add these, add these five labels to your, uh, to your uh, toolbox. Sleepiness, doubt, restlessness, aversion, and desire, or wanting. And each time that you find yourself distracted by the mind that's chattering on about what it wants, or the mind is chattering on about how much it dislikes something, or the mind is chattering on about what am I doing here, or the mind that is just so ready to take a nap. Just recognize, oh, this is a hindrance. This is an obstruction. I can't see clearly because my mind is shrouded by this particular state of mind. And we can become mindful of that. We can become aware of that and needn't be defeated by it. The mind that is unobstructed, undistracted, is clear, is pure, and knows what's going on. The nature of the mind is to know. 
When the mind is undistracted, we know what needs to be known. So, in your practice, walking and sitting, tonight and tomorrow and the next day, be attentive to these classical hindrances and remember the antidotes or the way of dealing with them. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.